Good morning. morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this Sunday morning. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are honored by your presence and glad that you are here. I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone who might be visiting with us this morning. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. When you come up for communion, if you're in need of a gluten-free wafer, we do have those available, so just get my attention. I'll make sure you get one of those. And if you would, uh, I've been a little remiss about this in the past few weeks, uh, pass the worship registries down the row, make sure we have your names recorded, if you would make those as legible as possible. That just helps us uh, in the office keep track of who is here and worshiping with us on Sunday morning. Um, As you know, it has been... uh, a tough week here at Northminster. We lost three saints this week. Um, of course, had the service for Janet Dawson yesterday. We will celebrate Shannon bon- or Shannon, excuse me, Sharon Bonner's life next week, and then Tracy Sandow's uh, life on the 17th. I would ask not only that you make plans to be here for those services as you're able, but also to be in prayer for those families and for us as a community. Um, it's hard enough to lose one person that we love, let alone three. Um, So do please be tender with yourself and tender with each other as we all continue to grieve. It's kind of a quiet time at the church for now. We will have youth tonight, right? Yes, youth, do we have a meal? Okay, so if someone would like to volunteer to help feed the kids, that would be great. You can see Laura after church. Uh, The only other thing coming up on the calendar other than those memorial services is our Ash Wednesday service, which will be on the 14th, uh, February 14th. And from there, really, we get into Lent, and things uh, keep rolling from there. So, Turner, would you come up and give us our moment for missions, please, ma'am? Welcome to February. Our mission for this month is Exit 318. Uh, We're collecting for them. Uh, Exit 318 signifies our area code, of course, and uh, it also is an abbreviation for Ex-Offenders in Transition. It's a program that's been funded by the Department of Corrections, and it presents a re-entry accountability plan for former ex-offenders, and uh, it is uh, a program that's been supported in this region for five and a half years. The church has been supportive for three years, I'm happy to say, and um, it's also supported by many companies and local businesses, and it has its home in Goodwill Industries. Uh, It is another chance or a second chance program and uh, provides a lot of support services in getting, uh, for all stages of the program, from getting into the program, um, getting prepared as possible before one is released, and then um, there is substantial support services once you are released, and um, getting settled into the community, Those services include things like um, job placement, housing, legal, transportation, case management. It's it's a very long list. It's a very rigorous program. Like I said, it has been very successful in our region. 
Um, but what Northminster is asking is uh, for filling our trunk is all of those supplies that are needed whenever you're entering a new residence, <laughs> you're bringing with you only what you've got <laughs> carried with you into that new space, that new residence. Yeah. And so for both men and women, uh, there's a list of items that are provided in the mission opportunities in the bulletin. And if we can fill our trunk, that would be great. Thanks. Thank you, Turner. Is Megan Proffer? No, I don't see them here today. So I will give you um, a bit of an update. No, it's not them coming in either. Uh, Neela Pride is going to be doing a, a rummage sale, um, and they are looking for things that you don't want in your house anymore that can go live at someone else's house. Um, so I will get more information out to you about that. It's coming up soon, um, and all of the proceeds will, of course, support the ongoing work of Neela Pride. So I'll, you'll get more information from the church office about that this week. Uh, now I'm going to ask that we take a deep breath together. And you all know we do this every Sunday so that we can allow all the parts of ourselves to catch up with one another. Our weeks tend to be hectic. This week in particular was a challenge for many of us. So we need to take the time to slow down, to breathe, to remember why we're here. If it helps you to close your eyes, that's okay. But breathe deeply, breathe like a musician from your diaphragm, don't pick your shoulders up. Let your belly come out, breathe nice and deep. As you breathe in, breathe in the joy of being surrounded by people who love you as you are, the quiet of this good place, the joy of seeing so many children around us. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out those things that we all carry with us into worship as best you can. Breathe in one more time, know that you are loved by God just as you are, because you are a precious child of the Creator. And then if you would, please join me in our call to worship, which is printed on the inside of your order of worship. To disciples, then and now, Jesus has said, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your parent who is in heaven. We have come together to be windows through which, instructed and illuminated by God, we might see the world more clearly.
right, young friends, what do we think? Did the grown-ups sing better this time than last week? Yeah, a little better, a little better. So, question for you. What month is it? Yeah, what month is it? It's not a trick question, I promise. What month is it? May? No. <laughs> what month is it? February. This month, okay. It's February. It's February. And does anybody know? Then it'll be March, but it's not March yet. Okay, and so what makes February special? Does anybody know? What? Valentine's Day. What else? Anything? No, not Easter yet. It's Black History Month. February is Black History Month. And it's a time which we celebrate black people in our country all the time. We should. But February in particular, we celebrate black Americans, their contributions to our country, their leadership to our country, and all of the really wonderful things that can come from black culture. So I have a book I want to, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read part of it to you about a young black hero. Her name is Bellin Woodward. She's not much older than most of you. And she saw something at school that she wanted to fix. So we're going to read about her today. So She was at school. Bellin was at school. She loved school. She said school is her safe place. And she was at school one day, and she and her friends were coloring, and one of them asked, does anyone have the skin-colored crayon? Some called it the skin-colored crayon. I'd heard it before. But this time, when I pass the peach-colored crayon to him, something in me feels different. So you see, here's Bellin. Here's our hero. Okay. Yeah, she's also on the back of the book, so you can see her there, too. Can someone pass me the skin-colored crayon? Another friend asks later. The question rings through the room. This question didn't seem to bother my teachers or my friends. Why was I the only one feeling confused? My mom and I celebrate the day. We share lots of stories and giggles. I also tell her about the skin color crayon language. I explain that even though the question puzzles me, I always pass the peach crayon. Well, our skin color is brown. So next time, why not just hand over the brown crayon instead, mom says. I think on that for a while. But that doesn't feel right either. Sorry, I read ahead. That doesn't feel right either. I think for a while, and then an idea hits me. No, Mom, instead, I'll ask what color they want, because it can be any number of beautiful colors. And so the next time that question rings out, I reply, which one? Skin can be any number of beautiful colors. Oh yeah, I meant the peach color, my friend says. Suddenly I realize that if this friend could understand, maybe other friends could too. So your friend is kind of embarrassed. Again and again, I get asked the same question. Again and again, I reply the same way, gently, knowingly, trying to change the language. 
until I finally hear an echo. My teacher replied just the way I did. Of course, my teacher said. What color crayon would you like? Because skin tones can be any number of beautiful colors. So you see, her teacher is even asking the question differently now. I had been the spark, and now my whole classroom is lit up. It is so important that your space is brilliant, just like you. Soon the new language rippled through the school. If I can make such a big change here, I can also make it happen at other schools. I put my idea to paper and my family helps me plan. Growing isn't always easy. Change is a team effort. The bigger your team, the faster change happens. I lead the way and ask my friends, school, and community for help. So, what Bellin did, and there are instructions in here about if you see something that needs to change, how you can go about that. But she helped people talk about the fact that the peach crayon isn't always the only skin tone that people have, right? Are we all the same color? Is our skin the same color? No. So she noticed there was a problem, and she decided to ask a better question. And you heard what she said. Skin tone can be any number of beautiful colors. So we talk here at church a lot about the fact that our words matter, right? It matters that we're kind to each other. It matters what we call each other. It also matters how we see each other, that we notice that we don't all look the same, and we don't have to that we're all beautiful as we are, that we're all beautiful even if our skin is different colors. So I want you to think about that this week, I want, especially if you're coloring with friends and they say, pass me the skin-colored crayon. Ask them which color they want because skin can be all sorts of different colors. Does that change who we are as people if our skin's a different color? Does that change who we are as people? I'm going to ask the question again. Okay. It doesn't change who we are. It does not change who we are. The other thing I want you to notice is, is Bellin, is she much older than any of you? No. No. But did she help change her school? Yeah. Yeah. You all can do that too. Now, it doesn't, you don't have to decide today what you're going to do. You don't have to fix all the problems. But you have the power and the ability to help people change and be better. Even if you are kids, it doesn't matter. So... Think about those things today. Adults, you too. Let's make sure our language matches what we mean. It's important. All right, kids, it's your turn. Turn around, face the congregation. We're going to say our prayer, and you know how to do this. Sit down your bottoms, please. Nice and straight and tall. Sit up tall. Thank you. I'll say the first line. You say it back to me nice and loud. You all are welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ shining through. Okay, the only kiddo I'm hearing is CJ. You're doing a wonderful job, but the rest of you can be louder too. So you keep going the same volume, okay? The other kids can join you, okay? Oh, now I've lost where I was. <laughs> and I blessed, and I am blessed to be with you. Oh, holy child of God. Oh, holy child of God. 
Amen. Thank you. You can go back to your seats now. A reading from Psalms 45. O oh God, your throne is eternal. You will rule your kingdom with a scepter of justice. You have loved what is right and hated what is evil. That is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness and lifted you above your companions. All of your clothing is drenched in the rich scent of myrrh, aloes, and cassia. 
in palaces decked out with ivory, beautiful stringed instruments play for your pleasure. At a royal wedding with the daughter of kings among the guests of honor, your bride queen stands at your right, adorned in gold from Ophir. Hear this, daughter. Pay close attention to what I am about to say. You must forget your people and even your father's house. The daughter of Tyre arrives with the gift. The wealthy will bow and plead for your favor. A stunning bride, the king's daughter, waits within. Her clothing skillfully woven with gold. She, in her richly embroidered gown, is carried to the king, her virgin companions following close behind. They walk in a spirit of celebration and gratefulness. In delight, they enter the palaces of the king. The psalmist speaks. Let's pray together. Lord, we need a miracle today. Like Jesus changing water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana, we need a miracle today. We're tired, Lord, of the hurts of this world. We're discouraged in the face of injustice, war, poverty, and indifference. We need a miracle today, Lord. Your steadfast love, like a mighty mountain, will not be moved. Your gifts, as many as the mighty winds, cannot be counted. Your glory, like a mighty torch, will not be put out. So we ask, Lord, that you crown us with your love. Show us your glory, that in you we may be moved to acts of kindness, love, justice, and mercy. Lord, we need a miracle today. Amen. A reading from 1 Corinthians. Am I not truly free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not personally encountered Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work, my mission in the Lord? Even if others don't recognize that I am his emissary, at least you do because you are the seal, the living proof that the Lord commissioned me to be his representative. Let me speak in my own defense against those keeping themselves busy picking me apart. Have we lost the right to eat and drink? Have we lost the right to bring along our wives, our sisters, and Jesus? Other emissaries travel with their wives, and so do the brothers of our Lord, not to mention Cephas. Is it just Barnabas and I who have lost the right to earn a living? Is a soldier in combat required to pay his own salary? Who would plant a vineyard and not enjoy one grape from it? Who would care for and nurture a flock but never taste the fresh milk? These ideas aren't based on merely human notions. The law says that these same things. In Moses' law, it is written, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out your grain. Is God's concern here limited to oxen, or does God speak here ultimately for our benefit? 
These things were written for us so as the plowman plows and the worker gathers, they can labor with the hopeful expectation that they too will share in the good harvest. Words from Paul about the challenges of ministry. Thanks be to God. reading from the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern of that is, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Jesus then said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. 
When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know it had, where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. The disciples believed in him. Friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm starting a support group. I want you to be the first to know about it. This cause is quite close to my heart because I suffered through it as a young person, particularly in my teenage years. And while I I didn't have a word for my condition until I was well into my professional career, I've come to understand I was afflicted with being voluntold throughout my childhood. Let me explain. I suffer, or suspect, many of you suffered the same affliction, but might not be as familiar with the terminology. Being voluntold is to be volunteered for something without your consent or knowledge, and then being told about the task later. Like, for example, oh, I told Mrs. Wilson that you'd babysit for her Friday night, or... The pastor was looking for help with the garage sale next weekend, and I I told her you'd be there. The most common voluntellers are parents, but grandparents and spouses are a close second. I learned the term from one of my youth parents at my church in St. Louis, and while I would often take the parents up on their voluntelling offers, I felt a little guilty about it when it was obvious the kid had no idea that they were going to be helping with that event. This is likely because my mother was the worst about volunteering me for things. I cannot count how many times I heard my mother say, Oh, Jillian will do that, and having no idea what the that was. Jackie Farmer is the epitome of a volunteer, thus my need for a support group. But I must admit that as with so many other things, I am becoming my mother. And if she's watching, she's shaking her head, yes. I have found myself volunteering my family members about tasks that they're uh, doing. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh, Eric is nodding. I feel less compunction about doing this to our daughter, Robin, particularly when it comes to things at church. I figure they're good for her, and I'm her mom, so she's going to do it. But Eric and I have had um, several what you would call marital conversations and reach the agreement that I always have to ask him before volunteering him for things or putting him in sermons. So, thank you. <laughs> Having experienced volunteering and being guilty of it myself makes me wonder if Jesus and his mother had a conversation after this wedding in Cana. Did Jesus look at Mary and say something along the lines of, I know you meant well, Mom, but stop. You can't keep, I can't keep turning things into other things. I'm, because Jesus is definitely being voluntold to do something about the wine in this morning's story. 
Now, follow me for the short reminder of biblical composition. Put very simply, the first three Gospels, and you know this, but I'm going to remind you, are called synoptics because they tell many of the same stories about Jesus in mostly the same order and with a lot of the same wording. Synoptic comes from the Greek uh, word synoptikos, meaning able to be seen together. They're a collection, more or less. Excuse me. John's gospel, on the other hand, is not considered synoptic because it includes stories, timelines, and wording all its own. To put it another way, and I think I've said this to you before, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the kids all quietly coloring at one end of the table, John is across the room building a Lego time machine for dinosaurs. <laughs> He's just that different. John unapologetically dances to its own tune and is full of paradox and contradictions. Fans of this gospel often like it because of its sublime language and imagery and its ability to lift its readers out of historical moments of Jesus' life to the lofty height of the cosmos. It's also important to know that John's gospel is generally considered the last to have been written, uh, with its final most complete version being dated to around 85 to 93 BCE, uh, or excuse me, CE. The gospel identifies the beloved disciple who is often thought of as being the author, and tradition holds that this disciple whom Jesus loved was John, son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, but that's not likely correct. And as with the other Gospels, it's more accurate to understand the true author as lost to history. Now, we can dig into the minutia of the Gospel another time, but for now, let's return to this morning's story and consider how Jesus says the word woman when addressing his mother in verse 4. What intonation should that word have? Irritation? Embarrassment? Long-suffering at being voluntold for something again? It strikes me as coming from a place that mingles all of those emotions, and perhaps even more, as the thing to notice about Jesus' address of Mary is that it's less personal. He could have called her mother, or even called her by her name, could have called her Mary, when she tells him the wine's all gone. Certainly his question to her, what concern, of that, what concern is that to you and me, feels pretty pointed. Lady, why are you telling me this? I am not in charge here. For as Jesus goes on to say, my hour has not yet come. This isn't my time. Don't push me. Dear woman, it is, our, it is, is it our problem they miscalculated when buying wine and inviting guests? My time has not arrived. After all, this is a rather odd place for Jesus' ministry to begin in this particular gospel, particularly if this is a family wedding, as some scholars suggest. Jesus is not the center of attention and really shouldn't try to pull focus. He's also not the host, but an invited guest who seems set on simply enjoying the gathering until his mother once again voluntells him. Turning to the servants, Mary says, do whatever my son tells you, and more or less backs Jesus into a corner. He could walk away. He could ignore his mom and refuse to get involved. But instead, Jesus takes action as his mother 
clearly anticipated he would, though he does it in his own way, on his own terms, and as privately as possible in this really public setting. Now, John doesn't refer to this as a miracle, preferring to use the word sign, but Jesus' ability to change water into wine is miraculous and very Jewish. One of the commentators I listen to often, Dr. Amy Robertson, is Jewish. She's a, she's a rabbi. And she describes Jesus' actions here as peak Jewish teaching because he gives charitably to the groom, the host of the party, in a way that blesses the host without anyone being aware of what he's done. Jesus changes this water into wine in a way that isn't ostentatious or drawing attention to himself, but rather that allows his host, the groom, to take the credit. As I said, this is a miracle, a sign, Jesus performs on his own terms. Now, you might wonder why the gospel writer is so specific about the number of stone jars and how much water they can hold in the text. First, they're specifically stone, because stone doesn't absorb impurities in the way that something like clay does. Second, the purification rites mentioned are likely a form of ritual handwashing that doesn't individually require that much water. So 120 to 180 gallons speaks to how many people were present. This was a big wedding. Finally, keep in mind that Jesus tells the servants to fill the jars, implying they were either partially or completely empty. That's a really small detail, but one that tells us that Jesus' actions here aren't intended to replace anything. They've already washed their hands. That has already happened. So he's not replacing that practice. He's starting something new. Nothing's being discarded. A new thing is taking place. This is a new shape within a previously existing structure and speaks to the many examples in the Hebrew Bible of wine being associated with the day of the Lord, or as in Joel chapter 3, the opening of the Messianic age. Therefore, wine is significant not over and against Jewish tradition, but exactly within Jewish tradition. Said another way, here's abundant flowing wine from Jesus who's quietly and subtly fulfilling messianic expectations. By doing what his mother tells him in this situation, Jesus begins his ministry and takes on his role as the Messiah, but without any fanfare or fuss. This speaks to the first part of this morning's good news, which is that God's kingdom can unfold in small, subtle ways. As with this first of Jesus' miracles in John's gospel, the inbreaking of God is possible behind the scenes and in unexpected places. Because God's kingdom is, to at least a certain extent, improvisational. To make room for a variety of gifts which help express it. All of us have a hand in sharing in this inbreaking of God in our own unique ways. So we must remember to look around for it to look for God's kingdom everywhere and participate in it even in improvised ways rather than waiting for something earth-shattering to happen. And that leads me to part two of the good news. Starting big things can be hard, and sometimes we need a push. 
There can be too many paths to choose from, too many starting places when it comes to big, important work. Too many options for working to address the world's needs and injustices. Too many places where our times and talents would be useful. We can end up being stymied by where to begin. And in those moments, it's okay to just take the path in front of you and not wait until everything lines up perfectly. It's okay to start something and be flexible and nimble as you go along and to make necessary improvements to your work. It's okay to start out in a direction boldly and then realize you need to course correct. And sometimes it's best to start quietly, publicly, but in your own terms, with a gentle push from a loved one, even if you don't think the time is right. So I guess that means my mom was right and being voluntold isn't so bad after all. Amen.
As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. And even as we long for Christ's presence among us, we anticipate Jesus' arrival. Jesus is here with us as we are now through Advent and Christmas. We seek our hope and our salvation through Christ who brought us salvation through vulnerability. Christ became bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. God, in the form of a baby, made herself dependent upon us. An infant, revealing the transformative power of giving and receiving love through human flesh. Friends, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are on holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures, and our grief. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love and willingness to be vulnerable, he would be seized by those in power. This isn't a surprise. Because still today, we often crucify the ones who dare to risk it all on love. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved best. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup, and he filled it with wine, and as he filled that cup, he blessed the wine and reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Friends, Christ makes us the same pledge and promise. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste with superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.